You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. Good morning, 10 o'clock. You can be seated. No filler stories. Let's go straight to God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your copy of God's Word with you, let's turn there together. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and then follows 2 Corinthians. We'll go to chapter 5. It's where we've been the last two weeks. We'll still be there two weeks to come and there today as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, but it's just as if God's word is speaking to us today. God's heart is speaking to the heart of his people today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's pick it up in verse 6. That's where we dropped off last week. We made it all the way to verse 5, so let's pick it up here in verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Go ahead and keep your Bible open. Uh, There are four things that I want you to see from this passage, four truths or or, or principles that come from this really rich passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you're a note taker, you can write these four things down. If you're not a note taker, you can consider these things with me this morning. The first thing is this. Because we are not staying here, we can be of good courage here. Because this is not our permanent home, we can be of, of good courage. Now remember, Paul was a man who was constantly on the brink of death. The Jewish leaders wanted him dead. The Greek leaders wanted him dead. The Romans wanted him dead. And according to church history, eventually did kill him. Religious leaders wanted him dead. Non-religious leaders wanted him dead. On top of that, every time he traveled, there was always treachery on on his journeys. There was the threat of illness, the threat of disease. And Paul knew that that death could take him at, at, at any day. Thieves who occupied the roads that Paul would travel would rob anybody, would kill anybody. And on top of that, you have the hostility toward his faith, the hostility toward Paul's gospel message. And again, he knew at any moment death could take him. And he, he writes here how you and I can, can deal with that. Verse 6, maybe rather stark in light of Paul facing death, he says, always be of good courage. He says it again in verse 8, we are of good courage. In other words, we are people of of good courage. Now that verb means to be cheerful, to be confident. It means to have joy, to have happiness, to be confident, to be content, even when death stares you right in the face. And that is how he faced death, confidently, contently, joyfully, cheerfully, patiently, peaceably. In fact, it was Paul that would write to the church of Philippi, Philippians chapter one, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. In other words, it's even better. I mean, you you probably know this if you've been around someone in their last days of life, the last few weeks of life, especially in the life of someone who has walked closely with the Lord. Faith, I believe, does its greatest work in the very last days of our lives. That the reality of our faith is most clearly seen in the reality of the face of our own death. 
So Paul had this kind of faith that was strong in life, but also strong in death. He was determined to, to finish well. He was, he was determined to face death with, with patience, with hope, with, with joy, with expectation for the next and better chapter. I mean, you know, Highland, we need to stop calling heaven the afterlife. Heaven is the life. We're just living in the boring pre-life right now. All of this is just pre-life. But we're headed to a place where there truly is life. And if we can stand on, on that truth, if we can just live in that every day, that, that this is not the life that God has for us, then we can live here on this very temporary basis with good courage. Because we ain't staying here. That's bad grammar, but good theology. This is not home for, for us. Secondly, because we can't see everything here, we must live by faith here. Because we can't all see what was happening around us, the purposes of God, the plans of God. Uh, we can't even see the spiritual activity that's happening in this room right now all around us because we can't see everything here. We're told that we have to live by faith. In fact, we see this in verse seven. We walk, which is Paul's word. He uses it all throughout his letters. It just means the word to live. We, we, we walk by faith. We, we live by faith. We live this life by faith and not by sight. So this explains, Christ follower, how we can live and, and serve an invisible God how we can hope for this invisible place that we have not seen yet. We do so by faith, not faith in some vague superstition. We believe and we live by what we believe, but our belief is not in nothing. And our belief is not in belief. And our belief is not in ourselves. And our belief is also not just in believing whatever we want to believe. Belief is truly a belief in the word of God. Because it's the word of God that tells us the character of God. It's the word of God that talks to us about, about heaven, about life that lasts forever. It's the word of God that teaches us and tells us about the coming of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of, of Christ. So life here on earth is not just some finger-crossing experiment. It's not just some random belief in some philosophy. We live by faith, faith in the word of God that's built on the unchanging character of God. We can't see everything that's going on around us, again, in a spiritual realm, but even in the purposes of God. There's some of you who call that frustrating. God's word tells us here, oh, don't live by what you can see. Live by faith in what you do not see. God is preparing us for tomorrow. We can't see into 2025. We can't see the purposes of God. And so often we say that, that, that that's a season of uncertainty for me. But what if you and I just learned this, this coming year to walk by faith and not by sight? You know, often we, we tend to stand on experience. The problem with experience is all you can see is what you have experienced. When you live your life on experience, all you can do is look back and see what you have experienced. When you live your life on emotions, then all you see is the craziness and the fluctuations of our feelings. When you stand on other people's opinions of you, all you see is a thousand different voices of people who are finite. When you stand on the flimsy ground of progressive Christianity, all you can see is a different God about every seven years as the culture cycles through new ideas and new truths and new standards, which are usually reduced standards. But when you stand on faith, faith in God's word, faith in the unchanging nature of God, the unchanging character of God, you can walk, what Paul says here, by faith into tomorrow. 
This is walking by faith and not by sight. Thirdly, because the Lord is our everything, we aim to please him everywhere. This is what Paul is talking about in, in, in verse nine. So whether we're at home or away, we, we make it our aim, our ambition, just to honor the Lord, to, to please the Lord. It may be important for you to know in this passage here, when Paul says home, he's talking about heaven. And when he says away, he's talking about Waco. I'm telling you, Highland, we would live our lives radically different if we constantly reminded ourselves that we're on the road right now. Every game we play is a road game as a Christian here on earth. But eventually and eternally, we're, we're headed home. So we make it, verse nine, our aim, ESV says that. If you have the New American Standard, I actually like this word better in the NASB. It says ambition. You have the NIV, I think it says the word goal. So we make it our aim, we make it our, our ambition to honor the Lord, to please the Lord wherever we are, whether we're here on earth or we're in the presence of the Lord himself. We desire to honor him. Now, sometimes we think that word ambition is a negative word. We even use it in phrases here in our own vernacular today, like a secret ambition or a selfish ambition or, or a reckless ambition. But here, that word ambition or aim, or again, the word goal, is a great six-syllable Greek word, philatum etomai. And philatum etomai means to love the honor of honoring. To, to have a great esteem to please someone, a great esteem, a great treasuring of honoring somebody. So here we love the honor of pleasing the Lord. Christians, you and I should love the honor of esteeming Christ. So Paul is talking about being consumed with a passion to honor the Lord. He's talking about being consumed with this passion to please the Lord in all aspects of, of his life. And all of us in this room, we understand being consumed by something. Some in this room are consumed with, with, with wanting to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend are consumed with having a husband or wife, or consumed with having a kid, or consumed with having relationships that are, that are healthy around you. Sometimes we get consumed with, with, with how much money do I have, or, or how little can I give and still be considered a pretty good Christian. We get consumed of how do I fit into the social strata of this city, or of Baylor, or of MCC, or my neighborhood. Like, where do I fit in? We get consumed with what other people think of us. And I'm probably gonna lower the attendance next week by saying this next thing, so here you go. I think we get consumed with being right. I think we get consumed with being vindicated. How do you know you're consumed with, with being right? You have imaginary conversations with people that you really want to sit down and tell them what you really think. And you daydream about that speech. Oh, if I could ever talk to him or talk to her, I, I, I would really let them know what, what I think. If you dream about that speech, you may be consumed with being right. You may be consumed with being vindicated. And scripture is telling us here, if you're gonna be consumed, if you're gonna have an ambition, if you're gonna make something your aim, aim to please Jesus. Be consumed with honoring Christ because he is the Lord of our lives. Paul says whether it's away or with him, here on earth or in heaven, our honor, our, we're consumed, our ambition is to please the Lord Jesus. I think every Christian in this house today should be marked by ambition. 
Christians should be passionately ambitious people, but our ambition should be for the highest goal, the, the noblest end. And what is the highest goal? I want to honor my Lord. Fourthly, because we will stand before him there, we do all we can in his name here. Because one day, Christian, all of us will stand before the Lord. We make this our aim. We make this our goal to do all that we can here, while here on earth, while here on this planet, while here in the pre-life, to do everything we can for his kingdom, for his name. This was the deepest motive for Paul. But what really moved Paul was this tremendous accountability that he knew was, was coming. The reason that we should have as our ambition the honoring of Jesus in our life is because of verse 10. I hope your Bible's still open. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So Paul's ambition was driven by this reality that he would have to give an accounting for all that he had done in this life here. So our ambition, Highland, to honor the Lord in everything we do is fueled by this truth that one day every person in this room, Christian, yes, we will have to give an accounting for the way we lived our lives. Those four words should be in our mind every day this week. The, first, the four words in verse 10, we must all appear. We must all in this room appear before Christ. That shows the comprehensiveness and the inevitability of this event. There's gonna be a day I will stand before the Lord and I will hear from him the real verdict on my life. The real verdict on my ministry, the real verdict on my service. Now please take note of this, Christian. This is not a judgment for sin. Where was our sin judged? At the cross of Christ. So we are already forgiven of that. So if, if sin becomes an issue at this judgment, then somehow that means the cross was incomplete and it was not. It was sufficient for our salvation and our forgiveness. So this is not a judgment on sin. Sin, Christian, has already been dealt with by the blood of Christ. But this is gonna be a revealing of our real motives, our real attitudes, so that we can see the reality of who we are. Some of you right now are thinking, I don't want to do this. I don't want to stand before the Lord. Well, here it is. Don't think this is going to be a terrible experience because the revealing as we appear, verse 10, as we appear before him, I think is going to show us the amazing work that God has done in our lives. I think we will all be surprised on that day. Not at what's burned up, but at what's left. I think we're gonna be able to praise God on that day that we stand before Christ himself. Even though we've gone through all these, these junky things in our lives, these experiences in our lives, we've made even bad decisions, all the junk that we've experienced, by God's grace, there will still be some gold and silver and precious stones that remain in our lives. So we'll see the work of God despite ourselves on that day. But also, please understand this, a Highlander, brother and sister in Christ that's here today because I don't want you to get to heaven one day and stand before Jesus and you look at him and say, Pastor John never told me this was gonna happen. You now know. Like you're gonna you're all, be, be fully warned, should have given you a permission slip before you walked in here today. Now, now you know, every Christian in this room, we will stand before the Lord. So this is accountability. It'll be at that moment that all the hypocrisies and all the concealments 
and all the secrets and all the facades and all the wasted, worthless, useless stuff in our lives is just stripped away completely. And God will look directly into our hearts and show us what he sees. On that day, he'll look at me and he'll say, here you are, John Durham, just exactly the way I see you. And that's gonna happen in the presence of God. And this biblical fact that we will stand before him should be a great accountability to every son and daughter of God in this room today, a great catalyst, a great motivation for you and I to do all we can in the name of Jesus while we are here. And this passage of five verses, verses six through 10 we just looked at, ties into the passage right below in your Bible. I sure hope it's still open. You can tell because of the first word of verse 11, therefore. You see it again in verse 16, therefore. You see it again in verse 17, therefore. You see it again in verse 20, therefore. So this entire passage is completely connected and tied together. So let's go back to the passage we've been looking at almost every week, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, because this is tied into the day that we'll see Christ face to face. This is tied into doing all we can here on earth while we are here away from the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, pick it up in verse 18. I love these first five words. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, all, and throughout this passage here, we see, as we did last week, that you and I are a part of this plan. That every Christian in this room, you and I, are, we find ourselves in this passage right here in verses 18, 19, and 20, that you and I play the role of ministers of reconciliation between Waco and God. Between Bather and God. This neighborhood and the Lord himself. So let me take that passage again and underline for you, I did on the screen, highlight for you, I did on the screen to make sure you see yourself, Christian, in this passage. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, Highland, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, every brother and sister in Christ in this room, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through every believer in this room. So we, Christians, we implore Waco we implore the universities, we implore our school, we implore our families, we implore our neighborhood on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And it creates these two pictures you see on the screen. The first picture is, is Christ on one side, or God on one side, humanity on one side. And the only way to, uh, to bridge that gap is, is, is Jesus himself. Jesus, who becomes the administrator of reconciliation, he becomes the agent of reconciliation. So you've got rebellious, um, shame-filled humanity on one side, then you have a holy, perfect, just God on the other. Those, those are irreconcilable unless, unless Jesus comes, fully God, fully man, and lays his life down for us. He becomes the bridge between humanity and God, but what this passage is also saying is between humanity and God, you have Jesus' people pointing people to Jesus. 
Now just make sure on the same page, the bridge is still the death and the resurrection of Christ, but now you and I have the responsibility and the joyful responsibility of that to point other people to Jesus. So let's land on this thought. We live courageously by faith, aiming to please him, living for him because we're gonna see him, and so we joyfully take our responsibility or our roles as ministers of reconciliation. Basically, I just took verses 6 through 10 and 18 through 20 and just made two sentences out of those eight verses. We live courageously while here by faith. What's our ambition in this life? Well, what are we consumed with? Honoring the Lord, pleasing the Lord, living for him. And what's the accountability for that? Because one day we're going to see him. So what do we do? Do we live in fear? Do we just always have a holy huddle on Sunday and, and that's it? No, we joyfully take our roles in this city, in this neighborhood, in our homes, on our campuses, in our workplaces as ministers of reconciliation, just Jesus' people pointing others to Jesus. And future generations is the practical, if you will, outcropping of that, how we're gonna be bridge makers Two weeks ago, we saw how we're gonna put some money on the table and build our first ever student building for a middle school group and a high school group that is growing. Last Sunday, you saw that we're gonna redo our entire education building to make more room and more space for our preschool, our kids, our special needs ministry of, of Shine. So today, I wanna show you just a practical way that you and I can be bridge makers to the marginalized and the poor and the homeless in our city. We're gonna dial it up a little bit with future generations. Mission Waco has recently uh, purchased a, a tract of land. You see a picture of that on, on the screen. It's off of University Park Drive. If you wanna get your bearings straight, that tract of land is about a mile and a half, a mile and a half uh, southeast of the Farrell Center. So not too far away from Baylor campus. And it's actually right there on, um, on some, a waterfront. They're gonna build a subdivision of homes. You see that in the, on the next screen, a subdivision up top of, of homes for the poor in our city, for the homeless, for the marginalized. You see on that same picture some of the, uh, the, the renderings, the models of, of the exterior and the interior of some of those, those new homes. It's called Creekside. Let me tell you a little bit about Creekside community. There's gonna be 168 uh, micro homes that are built there on, in that subdivision. Not only will it be a subdivision for those who are, are poor, homeless, um, marginalized, homeless veterans in our city and in our county, they're also going to ask for about 10 or 12 families or couples who don't need the housing to still live there as missional couples, missional families, to share the gospel, to help with Bible studies, to help with counseling, to encourage those who are living there in Creekside. It'll have a working farm, it'll have an orchard, there'll be livestock there on site as well. And in case you're wondering, because I've been asked this just a few times the last month, there are working models just like this happening around the nation today, including outside of Nashville and a little micro home subdivision outside of Austin as well. However, there are very few, if any, Christ-centered subdivisions in our country for the homeless, for the poor, and for the marginalized. So Highland's investment into Mission Waco last year in the year 2023 was right at $21,025. That was actually you giving that. Um, every month we write a check to Mission Waco to help them in their ministry. They're one of our 15 or 16 partners that we give to every month, that you give to every month. So in 2024, this coming year, because of future generations, we're gonna give that 21,000 
plus $145,000 to help build the first three homes, the first three micro homes uh, there in, in Creekside. We're the first church to, to do that. The elders have also made the decision that we don't want to wait for money to come in from future generations. We want this to be a gift of faith to Mission Waco. So a few weeks ago, John Calloway, the executive director of Mission Waco, came to our church and picked up a $132,000 check uh, for, for Highland to be the first church to build three homes within Creekside. Now, John told me, I don't know if he did this or not, he said, I'm going to make a photocopy of this and carry this check into every church I can get into and say, hey, Highland built three, surely you can build three as well. So you have become the leveraging for other churches. How amazing would it be for churches around our nation to build subdivisions like this in the name of Jesus while we're still here, in the name of Jesus to share with those who are needing home, needing help. So last week in the mail, you should have received a packet about future generations, what it means, what we're, what we're doing, uh, that the total amount that we need to raise is $6.1 million for all these things on campus, for Mission Waco, for some more parking. You should have also received in the mail uh, that day a registering your, your financial commitment. It's a card that looks like this. This is really helpful to us because it lets us know how we're doing, uh, tracking, getting that money in. Um, on the back side of that card, there's a little QR code if you're interested, uh, or you can fill out the card and drop the card off. Uh, your name, your email address. Uh, if you're willing to give a one-time gift, or would you be willing to give over the course of the next 18 months? Or college students, the challenge for you is to give over the course of the next 24 months, actually. But we'd encourage you to, to turn this in. Someone asked me this week, um, Pastor John, how many people do you think will give to future generations? And my answer, even though it sounds a little snarky, I was being very real about it. Oh, 100%. Like I would love 100% of Highland to, to give to this. So if by God's grace you can give $10, give $10. If by God's grace you can give a million dollars, give a million dollars. Yeah, most of us are somewhere in between, aren't we? We're somewhere between the $10 and the $1 million. I guess my, my statement is this, give according to God's grace toward you. What, what, how amazing would it be if 100% of Highlanders gave? Gave a little by God's grace, gave a lot by God's grace. Last week, we saw a lot of college students come forward, maybe about 600, 580 to 620 college students came and took one of these packets up here on the stage and said, we want to be a part of this also. We don't have a lot of money, but there's a lot of us. So a lot, if a lot of us give a little, the challenge was $24 a month for the next 24 months. That's, that's a lot of money that, that gets planted into future generations and allows all of us in this place to be ministers of reconciliation to the next generations that are coming behind us. What if we were motivated in this way? Because one day we'll all stand before him there Let's do all we can for his name here. Would you stand with me, please, for us to pray together? Father, thanks for your grace. Thanks for your goodness toward us. Thank you for the beauty of your word and the power of your word. Help us to live our lives, God, with that being compelled by the truth. Not only do you love us, but we will give an account of our lives one day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Again, last week, college students, we encourage you to, to give toward future generations. We have packets up here on, on the stage. Again, if you want to come to this next song and, and take some, if you weren't here last week and be a part of this. Maybe if you didn't receive anything in the mail, you're welcome to, um, to come up here and take one of these packets as well. We have commitment cards up here also if you've been looking to, to find one, to fill one of those out. Or the, the, the highest thing, just hear me clearly, the highest thing today would be for anyone here to say yes to Jesus, to step into his name and find life that lasts forever, forgiveness, forgiveness from your past, a new start, a new heart. So I have some staff members here at the front that would love to pray with you. Or any of you, of course, are welcome to come and just kneel here at the altar and spend some time with the Lord. Let's sing together. Won't you please come?